Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the seventh of our nine sermons in a series about the fruits of the Spirit. And I was thinking about fruit this week because the doctor said to me, John, you need to eat more fruit. It's good for you. So I'm in the fruit aisle at Morrison's and thinking, what fruit should I buy? What's the best fruit? And you can Google it. It arouses real competition. Some people say satsumas because they're nice and sweet and easy to peel. But you know what? A lot more people say strawberries. Strawberries, I have a lot of fans and they are many people's favourite. But my favourite is this, bananas. Why bananas? Well, as Mary from Leeds put it, bananas are definitely the best fruit in the world. They are right easy to peel, not messy, and can be a quick snack, a tasty dessert, or even a healthy breakfast. Anyone who thinks that strawberries are better than bananas is just dead wrong. I don't know what you think about that, but here's something about fruit. It's the natural product of a fruit tree. A fig tree should bear fruit, Jesus said. Otherwise, it's a waste of time as a fig tree. And that fruit will be expected to be figs, not bananas or satsumas or strawberries. If he'd lived in Britain, he would have said, you know what, an apple tree is expected to bear fruit unless it's a useless apple tree. And that fruit will always be apples. So in the same way, Paul, in the series we've been working through, says that Christians, those who live by the Spirit, will bear fruit. What fruit? Well, he lists nine fruits uh, that you would expect to see. Or as Steve put it in his first sermon, it's possible, since there was no punctuation, love is the first, and then eight ways in which love is expressed with a colon there. So Paul expects our Christian tree to bear fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness and goodness, and three others we've not reached yet. Like any fruit, the fruits of walking by God's Spirit are things that should naturally flow from that walk. They come from our relationship with God and his spirit at work in us every day. But every speaker, every speaker has also stressed that we also choose or not let that fruit grow. We can nurture it, we can encourage it, we can practice it even when it takes effort to do that, or we can stifle it and allow other things and other choices to take over. Growing that fruit is as much about our choices as is about God working in us. Now, the other thing you might observe is that unlike fruity fruit, you can't have a favourite fruit. There is no best gift of the Holy Spirit. One cannot be completely missing the Christian life and the other eight or 100%. That would be stupid. They all overlap and choosing to work on the growth of one will likely lead to the others as well. A heart at peace, filled with joy, is more likely to show patience and kindness and goodness to others. When patience and kindness are worked on, even when they hurt, you'll find your heart filled with a joy and a peace you never expected, as God letters that. But I think, without saying one's better, today's fruit, faithfulness, is particularly challenging for us. You see, I can easily be loving, 
I can easily be at peace. I can easily be joyful. I can easily be patient or kind or good for 10 minutes. But can I be that for an hour? Can I be it for the rest of today? Can I be it for the rest of next week in all the circumstances I will come across? Can I be it all my life, however long that is? Sometimes, I guess like most of us, I really disappoint myself. And even Paul, he recognises in Romans 7.19, he says, I want to, but I just don't end up doing the good things I set out to do. And instead, I end up doing the bad things I said I wouldn't do. And the only solution to that, he says, is I need to stick with Jesus and live by his spirit. Be faithful. It's about living what we believe. It's to be full of faith. It means keeping the promises we made when we first decided to follow Jesus. To serve him, not our ambitions or our wants or our first fears or our hurts or our prejudices. And living it in all areas of our lives, living it constantly, living it even when hurting or discouraged, and living it lifelong. It's not always easy that when things are happening, or even when things are going well and we get complacent, but it's certainly not easy when you're grieving or hurting or your heart is breaking. Now, today's reading is very familiar. The master is off. He's going on his trip. He's going on his holidays, maybe. He's decided to have some time in his villa in Torremolinos. And he gives his servants his property. He doesn't lock it away. He gives his servants his property. He entrusts them with it, it says in the Bible. And the biblical word for servant is doulos, sometimes translated in context as slave. These chaps are not equals. They are not honoured advisors. Their service, their loyalty, their will belongs to the master. And yet he entrusts them with his estate. And he expects them, though, in return to nurture this investment as he would himself and see a return on it, to see fruit from it. And it's a lot of money. Even the guy who only got one bag of gold or one talent in the original, that's like 20 years wages. It's like half a million quid, uh, a million quid is better off in our society. It's a lot of money. You know how you hear these stories about people seeing the Sunday supplement, an advert for a rose bush for only a fiver, and they send off their fiver, or they rather well, type in the numbers, don't they? They send off their fiver, and in exchange, a jiffy bag turns up a week later with what looks like a dead twig in it, and they feel swindled. Well, God's not like that. What he's saying in this story is, even when we feel that other people have had so much more luck or so much more blessing to start with, he has given us immeasurably from his generosity. And we are called to steward that generosity and show faithfulness to that stewarding. If nothing else, he has given us uh, his son, the life of his son for each and every one of us. He has been immeasurably uh, and constantly generous to us every day of our lives. But faithfulness, it's true, does seem to be in very short supply from the top of our society downwards. You know, and the Bible is just the same. It told stories about unfaithful husbands and wives, about murderers, about rulers who took money for themselves and didn't protect the poor, about rulers who lied, about employees who stole from their employers, about employers who treated their employees dreadfully. Lots of examples, even in scripture, of unfaithfulness. And we see this in our own society from the top to the bottom, people not being faithful. And yet, 
we cannot allow ourselves to be made cynical or distracted by that reality because we have so many better examples all around us. We remember, I remember, church members who continue to serve faithfully until days before their deaths in ministry to others uh, in this church and out with it, even if that ministry could only be encouragement. There are many examples in scripture as well. People who stuck with God even when it hurt. And of course, the ultimate example we all have is Jesus himself, who as Philippians 2 says, became a human being, took the nature of a servant, and humbled himself even to death on the cross. Not my will, but yours, he said. Now, do you remember the story of Joseph and his amazing technical dream coat, betrayed by his family, thrown into a well to die, and then when they thought they could get a few shekels for him, uh, hold out of the well and sold as a slave. And on the slave markets in old Cairo or wherever, Potiphar, Pharaoh's friend, turns up and bought him as he would buy a vacuum cleaner. Joseph must have been devastated, heartbroken, angry, aggrieved, and seeing no way out. And yet he determined to be faithful. And Potiphar, it says in Genesis 39, saw that God was with him. And he put him in charge of everything he owned. And it probably started with just responsibility for trimming the hedges or, or, or cleaning one of the rooms. And before you know it, he's running the whole estate. From the time Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his household and everything he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph's faithfulness. And so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's hands. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And you can imagine him going out in the morning, saying to Joseph, shepherd's pie tonight, maybe Joseph? And not worrying about his vast estates and slaves and labourers, everything would run like clockwork because Joseph was determined to be faithful. And later on, when Mrs. Potiphar falsely accused him of hanky-panky, you might say, he was thrown into jail for years. And that might show that Potiphar knew that Joseph was a man of high caliber because he didn't have him executed. But in jail, the same thing happened again. And Genesis says, eventually, he ends up running the jail. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph was so faithful. And you know what? That humility he was developing, that faithfulness was of immense use to him later on when those skills of administration he used to save all of Egypt and his own family from the seven-year famine. God was at work in him because he was obedient to God and faithful whatever he did. I think faithfulness depends on two things for us Christians. One is remembering how God is always faithful to us and walks with us through his spirit, but also remembering that we made a promise to every one of us who calls ourselves a Christian at some point in our lives, even though we can barely remember it, knelt down and said, Lord, come into our lives, be Lord over all our choices, be Lord over all our ambitions. We just want to be servants of yours. Paul calls himself in his letters a servant, a slave of Jesus. His purposes, not those of Paul. What a wonderful example of faith. Now, the New Testament uses the metaphor of running a marathon race uh, in order to get over the concept of faithfulness throughout our Christian lives. It says that each of us in Hebrews has our own race to run, and it offers us three tips on how to do this. 
The first is that we need to keep our eyes on the finishing line. Paul says in Philippians 3, I forget what's behind me. Not relevant. I don't look to the sides. I keep my eyes on the goal like a real Olympian. The only thing they're thinking about is that finishing line and getting to it. We shouldn't let anything that's happened to us in our past or anything we've done and feel terrible about or anything we've been look back on and think, how could I have done that? How could I have been so stupid? Put us off from getting up and heading back towards that finishing line. Yes, we fail, but we are servants. It's not our choice to, to sulk about it. It's our choice to get back up and get going again. Only what's in front of us matters. Lamentation says God's mercies are new to us every morning. Secondly, we have to accept help where needed. Hebrews talks about a vast crowd rooting for us. You know, when you're coming up to that finishing line in the marathon at the Olympics, can't say I was there personally, but I can put myself in the position. The crowd are roaring. They're encouraging you. Take that encouragement. And I'm so blessed by Christian friends who will challenge me and correct me and encourage me and encourage me to look up and forward and not inwards. We need to find friends like that. We need to find groups in ourselves who can encourage us like that. And if we want to be people who grow with one another, who build community, as our vision says, we need to find ways in which we can do that for other people. There's an awful lot of people struggling in loneliness and just wanting a little word of encouragement to get back on that racetrack again. And thirdly, Hebrews says we have to throw off everything that holds us back and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, I remember years ago and somebody put on a breeze block filled rucksack and all their heavy clothes and had to run round and round and round the church while somebody else put on running kit and trainers and ran around at the same time. And even though they were older and heavier, they finished in half the time. Throw off everything that holds us back and the sin that entangles us. Try and pray your way through those things that have hurt us, that weigh us down with guilt, that distract us, the unhealthy lifestyle choices, and come back to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus says in John, if you, without me, you'll achieve nothing. But if you remain with me, you will bear much. Faithfulness, you see, it's not a hundred meter sprint. It's a long distance run. I have so much sympathy uh, for the youth of today and the kids of today making commitments to follow Jesus because they will have to be faithful to those promises for 60 years or more in a society that is not always faithful, that will hurt them and will mock the choices they've made. And those choices will be difficult for them at times. But in fact, none of us knows how much of our race remains, the race that was marked out for us. But we can work on today and this week and every day getting closer to Jesus, putting aside those things that are unhelpful to us and asking how we can walk with him and live by the Spirit. See, like the servants in the passage, I don't know how long we've got. We don't know the time when the master will return and we will be called to give an account of our stewardship, of our faithfulness. But when that day comes, I want, don't we all want to be able to say like Paul as he awaited execution, you know what? I fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have been faithful. 
And Jesus, in the parable today, promises he will say, well done. Don't we all want to hear that? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of me. Come and share in your master's joy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your constant faithfulness towards us, your constant forgiveness of us when we allow ourselves to get distracted or allow things to push us off course. This week, Lord, challenge us, challenge us to remain close to you, challenge us to be faithful to what you would want in every situation we come across. And Lord, use us to bless others around us, to build a community, to help people grow, to break down barriers. Cheer people up when they're down. Help us, Lord, to be people who serve your purposes and bear.